FaithWire.com. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has resigned. Today's Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have that big story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from FaithWire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. Joining me today, as always, Trey Gons Phillips from faithwire.com with a look at what's coming up. What's going on, Trey? You know, I'm still sitting here kind of shocked <laughs> at know. Andrew Cuomo's decision to resign. Didn't that was see just it coming. Not, yeah, that was not on my bingo card, as <laughs> no. they say, for <laughs> no. this year. So, but anyway, coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk about the effort to legalize polyamory. Mm. That's getting support from Harvard Law. Uh, and then a new study is debunking a common abortion narrative. And then the patriotic gold medalist in women's wrestling, the one that America fell in love with last week, uh, she's using her thousands of dollars worth of prize money uh, to bless her mom in a remarkable way. Yeah, that's all very, very cool there. Um, let's uh, We got a lot to plow through here, so let's, yeah. uh, let's get right into the big story of the day, a shocker bombshell that happened this afternoon. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced during a press conference today that he is resigning. Um, it comes on the heels of a report from the state attorney general, Letitia James, and how he sexually harassed multiple women. Um, it'll be 14 days when his resignation is effective, uh, which is what he said earlier today, at which point the lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, will be sworn in as his replacement. Uh, that report from last week concluded that Cuomo violated federal and state laws by sexually harassing at least 11 women while in office. Cuomo harassed women by, quote, engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women, the report concluded. And despite the resignation announcement, Cuomo still maintains his innocence in the allegations uh, you know, against him. He said that while he has at times been too familiar with women, he has never crossed the line with anyone. I think some of those women would disagree. Um, but he <laughs> said he didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn. So, ah, aha, Trey, we're bl- blaming the <laughs> line redrawing here on, on his problems, yeah. not him. Cuomo then framed his resignation as a selfless act for New York, suggesting the intense bipartisan backlash against him was just a distraction from the real issues. Let's take a listen to a few of his words from earlier today. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. We have a lot going on. I'm very worried about the Delta variant, and so should you be. But she can come up to speed quickly, and my resignation will be effective in 14 days. Well, there you have it. I mean, he really made it sound like quite the heroic decision there. Um, This is the best thing he can do, and He's really helping the state by doing this. Wow, that is something else. Well, what is the left saying? Well, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio tweeted, make no mistake, this is the result of survivors bravely telling their stories. It was past time for Andrew Cuomo to resign, and it's for the good of all New York. 
New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand said, Cuomo did the right thing by resigning. President Biden said last week that he believed Cuomo should step down. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said today the administration didn't know Cuomo was planning to resign, but believe this is a story about these courageous women who came forward, told their stories, and shared their stories. What's their right saying? Well, when conservatives have been calling for Cuomo's ouster for quite some time, several today were critical of the fact that it was only after the attorney general reported that he resigned, arguing he should have been pushed out over his mishandling of the nursing homes at the height of the pandemic. He's out. God bless America, tweeted Janice Dean, whose in-laws died of COVID while they were in nursing homes because of uh, Cuomo's order. She also retweeted Albany Times Union columnist Chris Churchill, who wrote, This resignation should not end criminal investigations into the nursing home scandal, adding Cuomo's fall from grace was well-deserved. Meghan McCain condemned the media's coverage of Cuomo. She, She tweeted, History will look back on the way the media covered Andrew Cuomo the past 19 months, and it will be studied in journalism classes as the worst kind of dishonest (laughs) malfeasance journalism has to offer. Thank God for Janice Dean and shame on every single one of you who doubted her. So why does it matter? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty self-evident why this one matters. Trey's the governor of New York. Obviously, this is a big deal. Uh, Given uh, his ego on the national stage over the last year and a half and the, the famous Cuomo brother interviews on CNN, him writing a book about leadership in the middle of pandemic when New York was having the worst outbreak out of any city in the entire world. Amazing, amazing stuff. And so really actually a shocker that he actually did step down. So um, this is a quite the story today. Yeah, and you know, Cuomo has been one to kind of just ignore everything that's come at him over the last year, like any sort of legitimate criticism yeah. he has an excuse for. Uh, so I, I honestly was stunned by his decision to yeah. resign. I figured he would just dig his heels in and just keep, you know, even run for re-election the next cycle. Like, I just figured he's never going anywhere. He's just a fixture of uh, of New York. Um, so it certainly is surprising to see him make that decision. But like Megan McCain said, and like uh, I've heard, uh, obviously Janice Dean say, and even Ben Shapiro say, uh, it's ridiculous that it took this long, one, uh, and two, that the the scandal with the nursing homes, his policy that led to to so many people yeah. dying. And the cover up, right? enough. Like that yeah. was not enough to even get him criticism from the mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and the cover-up in particular, because yes. we talked about how, you know, a lot of things were, decisions were made, and, and it was tough because of the pandemic, it was uncharted territory, you expect mistakes to be made, even tragic ones, but that probably could have all been forgiven. It was the fact that, that he covered it up intentionally is what right. really is bad, and, and basically just got brushed under the rug. I mean, some people kind of kicked it up a little bit, and then it went away, and then this was the thing that did him in, and it's also bad as well, the way he clearly uh, treated these women um but you you know so it, it's kind of like oj getting into prison finally for you know something different right yeah. uh then then the actual everyone thought he committed the murder and then he ends up going to prison later for something else so um i guess that's a kind of a similar situation here but uh and i I'll say this is probably the one and only time I'll agree with Bill de Blasio. Uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, too, that, that like we need to, to know the context here. Like some of the reason he's been so bullish about this is because there's no love lost between de Blasio no. and Andrew Cuomo. No. The two, the, those two guys can't stand each other. So. Yeah, they're loving, he's loving um, it. it 
you know, it was just as much political as it was, you know, condemning him for, you know, for his behavior. But all right, story number two. So uh, in the aftermath of the Supreme Court's decision back in 2015 to legalize same-sex marriage, Chief Justice John Roberts, who dissented, argued that the ruling would open the door to legalizing plural marriage. At the time, outlets like Slate stated emphatically that the judge was wrong. But as it turns out, Roberts' warning now seems pretty insightful. Uh, So Roberts argued in 2015 that although the majority randomly inserts the adjective to in various places, it offers no reason at all why the two-person element of the core definition of marriage may be preserved while the man-woman element may not. Indeed, he continued, from the standpoint of history and tradition, a leap from opposite-sex marriage to same-sex marriage is much greater than one from a two-person union to plural unions, which have deep roots in some cultures around the world. If the majority is willing to take the big leap, it is hard to see how it can say no to the shorter one. So Robert's prognosis uh, now is the present reality, it seems. Uh, So this month, Harvard Law School's LGBTQ Advocacy Center announced its backing for the newly formed Polyamory Legal Advocacy Coalition, which seeks to advance the civil and human rights of polyamorous individuals, communities, and families through legislative advocacy, public policy, and public education. Harvard Law, for its part, defines polyamory as a form of non-monogamous relationship involving more than two adult partners at the same time with the knowledge and consent of everyone involved. Harvard Law lecturer Alexander Chen, who was the first openly transgender editor of the Harvard Law Review and now teaches a course at the college uh, on gender identity, sexual orientation, and the law, is the founding director of the LGBTQ Advocacy Center and one of the five attorneys who launched the Polyamory Coalition. So one recent Harvard Law graduate, Natasha Agarwal, said that she didn't know much about polyamory, polyamory at all until she started working with Chen and the coalition, and now she feels very strongly about it. She told Harvard Law today she doesn't understand why polyamory is problematic, because it just means there's more love in the world, <laughs> that your heart is so big you are capable of loving multiple people in the same capacity at the same time can't imagine anything going wrong there. Uh, so <laughs> even Chen admitted to agreeing with Robert's slippery slope argument, but said that it's just not something that's really of concern. Chen said one of the slogans of the marriage equality movement was love is love, and that's the overwhelming feeling I've gotten, mm. that people are just trying to love and support each other and have families and live their lives. So Chen did acknowledge that Roberts is, in fact, right. It's a slippery slope. But Chen <laughs> is completely okay sliding down that slope is, is the, the conclusion I'm getting there. Uh, so what is the left saying? Well, while many on the left and in the media argued back in 2015 that conservatives and Christians were being fatalist when they warned, like Roberts, that redefining marriage to include same-sex couples would open the door for all kinds of other relationships uh, to be classified as marriage, they said that that was, that was crazy. Uh, but still progressives are generally supportive uh, of sliding down that slope, like I said. So what's the right saying? Well, Andrew Walker, an ethics and public theology professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, said the Harvard partnership proves the concerns Christians and conservatives have had for years, proves them to be legitimate, I should say. And then former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, he argued likewise and recalled that annoyed uh, 
uh, and it was annoying that anybody would would suggest that there was a slippery slope, and then he would get frustrated when people would dismiss that. Like, oh, that's not that's not actually going to happen. That's not really going to be a thing. Uh, And he said, I remember looking back, and 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 anybody who raised that as an issue, like the the possibility of a slippery slope, uh, they were branded. He said as homophobic uh, for making ridiculous arguments that would never be made seriously. Well, here we are. Uh, so why does it matter? So the problem is is this. It's just a total dismissal of absolute truth, Dan. I think that's that's really the, the, the frustrating part here uh, because it's 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 got so many moving pieces. And when there's no absolute truth to latch on to, yeah. uh, it's like, you know, where is the line going to be? So scripture defines marriage, obviously, as one man and one woman, each submitting themselves to one another. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her wives are to submit and honor their husbands uh, as to the Lord and the two shall become one flesh according to according to Ephesians 5 so that's where that's what scripture says that's what our as as Christians is what our uh, our bulwark is for what marriage is but when we take away these these rules and these traditions these institutions uh, when we no longer see marriage as having a, a definitive definition we do, like Robert says, ends up, end up sliding down the slope. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not really sure where we're going to find a Where's the end of that slide? Like what's going to be the stopping point to what's morally okay and what's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And look, we, we've, uh, we've talked about this often, Trey. The moral relativist sort of framework just leads to this by necessity. And yeah. when you don't have a standard bear, when you do not have an immovable standard that doesn't change with the winds and the waves of the doctrines of the day this is what happens and i think what we're seeing now is decades ago maybe 20 30 40 years ago this being a country founded on christian judeo principles those generally sat in the seat of favor those views for most of our history um Mm -hmm. you know when it comes to things like that obviously we had you know, slavery, that's that's obviously a, a, a different issue. Uh, I'm talking about more of these individual issues when it comes to uh, marriage, right? Marriage was typically man and a woman up until recently. So um, that issue in particular. But what happens now is when you don't have that and all these other things are being pushed, these different types of relationships, polyamory, LGBT, et cetera, et cetera, now people are being forced to reconsider it. And so yeah. when they look at their moral framework and their system of beliefs there's nothing to pin it to and which is why that phrase love is love always made me believe that this is exactly where we'd find ourselves because what does that mean how do you tell someone in an incestuous relationship you know a mother with a daughter or son or whatever how do you tell them that's wrong if you have no basis for it and so this is basically inevitable is what i'm getting at here in a secular relativist society we should not be surprised to see this yeah for sure and it's uh, you know with harvard is so it's one of the leading uh you know obviously universities in the country in the world particularly when it comes to law and they're just kind of getting fully in on this uh and it just makes you wonder okay where's the objectivity then in the rule of law when we're mixing activism with actual study of the law and you know so because the people who go to these law schools end up being our leaders uh, so what they're learning in the classroom is what's going to eventually become policy 
uh, and we, that's what we've seen for so long. And so there were people, Barry Weiss is one of the ones who's been so outspoken about what's happening on college campuses. But for years, it's been kind of dismissed. It's like, yeah, that's, that's college. Once they get into the real world, then they'll see that it's not actually that way. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, is that these people are getting into the real world and they're yeah. getting into leadership positions uh, and they're dictating policies, you know, in corporate sector as well as in the public sector. Um, and, and we're, we're bearing the consequences yeah. uh, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. And so, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see more like it coming down the pike because yeah. it's when they're, you know, the reality of their worldview meets the road. This is what you get. Yeah. So, all right, let's uh, head on into story number three, a big abortion talking point just got nuked by a new study. The old the old claim goes something like this. Deciding to have an abortion doesn't mean you don't want or love children. In fact, six out of 10 people who get abortions already have kids. And many of them decide to end their pregnancies so they can focus on the children they already have. So that would be an example of an argument that puts a positive spin on parents who get pregnant and then decide to end it. Um, however, according to the new study authored by Dr. James Studnicki, and a team of researchers at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, the CLI, uh, revealed that out of nearly 5 million Medicaid-enrolled women with at least one pregnancy, less than 6% had both births and abortions. So, not a very big number. After studying the largest universe uh, of actual pregnancy outcomes ever analyzed, our team found that abortion is in no way typical of motherhood, the lead of the author of the study uh, said, and uh, that's uh, President Charles Chuck Donovan, who also added, they want to make it acceptable to target vulnerable women and children by citing estimates and surveys conducted at abortion centers to support the narrative that everyone's doing it, but most mothers are not undergoing abortions. We know that instinctively, we know that based on logic, and now we know it based on data. Um, abortion among low-income women with children is exceedingly uncommon, if not rare, the study found. So what's the left saying? Well, the left has been increasingly pushing to normalize abortion. Safe, legal, and rare may be a mantra you remember hearing back in the day, but you do not hear it anymore. That's been replaced by stuff like shout your abortion and women's rights, etc., etc., and that you should make it's just a push to make it as it's just another choice you're making like if you're gonna have you know ham or turkey or whatever for lunch <laughs> like it's just it's just yeah. another choice so what's the right saying well the right in general believes that life begins at conce conception and that unborn babies at every stage of human development have dignity and deserve protection so why does the story matter well it matters because we're all made in the image of god the Imago Dei, and we have intrinsic worth and value. And the only reason we do is precisely because we were made by God. And so when we start placing outside values and reasons for living and keeping people alive, i.e. the need to have a certain income level, a certain comfort level of life, and that becomes our determining factor for if an unborn child lives or dies, well, then we're taking life in our own hands and we're playing God ourselves. So that's why it matters. You know, people are sort of taking the issue of life into their own hands. Yeah. And it it is a big shift that I think is worth 
talking about is that we've gone from safe, legal, and rare mm. uh, to to it just being shout your abortion, and we yeah. talk about it only in clinical ways. Oftentimes, a lot of times we don't even use the word abortion uh, because. I've said this before. It's like the left and the, the pro-abortion crowd just wants to remove the reality of abortion from the conversation. Like it's just about you know women's reproductive rights and women's their right to access healthcare. And these are all things that nobody, when you hear it on its face, like who would ever want to be the person who's saying, oh, women shouldn't have access to healthcare. Uh, or women shouldn't have access to contraception. Like nobody in their their right mind is is going to say that women shouldn't have access to healthcare. But that's what the left is trying to force people who are pro life to say. It's like you're yeah. you're opposed to women having access to healthcare because healthcare includes, after all, abortion and and you know whatever morning after pills and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, that's I don't think that's where the most people fall. Like if you actually have the conversation with people uh, and talk to them about what's happening, uh, about you know what what the process of abortion is, uh, and you actually use the language uh, that that really is associated with abortion, which is ending a human life. You know, it's it's killing an, an unborn life. I think you would probably have a lot of people who would who would be kind of oh. You know, because a lot of people, particularly younger people, have not even been exposed to what's actually yeah. happening. Like to them, they've always just heard this conversation in a clinical sense and they've never heard, uh, you know, the reality of it yeah. before. Um, so my thought is, I guess my optimistic thought is, is that maybe there are people, like I said, particularly in the younger generations who haven't actually been exposed to what's going on. Um, and if you have those conversations with them compassionately, because people, you know, I, I don't want to condemn someone who's had an abortion and think that and act as if they're above redemption, because uh, they're not. But if we have these conversations compassionately and honestly, there's probably a great deal of people who can who can be won over. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, that's uh, well said. So, all right, story number four. So Olympic gold medalist uh, Tamira Mensah-Stock, the very patriotic U.S. wrestler, uh, who I mentioned has, has garnered a lot of new fans. Uh, she's using her prize money to buy her mom a food truck. So the Olympian said she made the decision on how to use the cash after seeing her mom struggle since her dad died in a car accident when Mensa Stock was still in high school. Uh, her dad was actually driving home from one of her wrestling matches. And I was watching a video of Mensa Stock when she was in high school in, in Grapevine, Texas. She said that... Uh, her dad, they believe, just fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, they're not sure exactly what happened. Um, but either way, he kind of lost consciousness and he, he ran right spread straight into a pole and ended up passing away shortly thereafter. Uh, but on uh, last week, Mensa's talk won $37,500 uh, after accepting the gold medal for Team USA. And every penny will go to her mom. She's always doing... Uh, backbreaking work, Mensa Stock said, and I've just seen her struggling ever since my dad died, and I don't like seeing it. I made a promise to her, and she loves cooking. It's just one of her passions. She said that her mom has for years used a portable grill to make and sell food, but said it's not exactly the best legal method uh, to use. Uh, so she decided to get her a food truck, uh, a, a gift Mensa Stock said her mother was ecstatic to hear about. She said she's already named it. Her mom has already named the food truck the Ladybug. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the paint job on that. I, would, I hope it maybe it looks like a ladybug. That'd be kind of cool. 
Uh, so <laughs> this one's obviously not a, a right or yeah. left story, uh, but a really good quick uh, quick story to end the podcast on. That's just really encouraging. The Mensa stock earned a lot of new fans uh, last week when she said how proud she is to represent America. She also credited God for her success, saying it's by the grace of God I'm able to even move my feet. Uh, she just has, has this contagious smile and, and energy. I've seen her at a few interviews since she won the gold medal. And she's just such an encouraging and uplifting person. Uh, and it's cool to see that it's not just a facade, like it's not just something that she talks about. She's talked about her faith and talks about how proud she yeah. is of her family, of her country. But it's something that she actually, you know, puts action toward. She's she's giving, you know, almost 40 grand uh, to her mom, uh, something that she's been talking to her about for years, she said. And she's finally got the resources to go ahead and get her this food truck and, and make her mom's dream a reality. So it's, it's really cool to see her blessing yeah. her mom that way. Yeah, that is awesome. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say her mom is probably a fantastic cook. And, I'm, uh, sure. I'm yeah. uh, you know, I'm going to be, hopefully she gets a website or a Twitter account or, or something that shows us where the ladybug is going to be when it's up and running, because I have a feeling it's going to be a hit. <laughs> yeah, I think she's still in Texas. So if you're okay. in Grapevine area. Oh, and Grapevine. Okay, that's right near where I used to live in North Dallas. So, all right. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of the podcast. As always, head on over to faithwire.com, cbnnews.com for a daily visit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating to this podcast on iTunes. God bless. We'll see you back here tomorrow.